G'day, and this is the Recommended Retail Podcast, the RRP that talks all things retail. I'll be your host, John Barkle, from Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B marketplace. In our very first episode, I'm joined by Ali Fiam, editor of Power Retail. We take a closer look into what the Australian retail industry looks like as we start to move on from COVID-19. Ali gives us the insider scoop on Australia's overcrowded B2C marketplace space, her passionate no BS stance on the future of social media shopping, plus she shares her tips for those starting their own e-commerce businesses. I'm glad you can join us on the Recommended Retail Podcast. I'm joined by Ali Fiam, the editor of Power Retail. Welcome, Ali. Thank you for having me, John. Good to see you. It's good to see I you. I saw you last Friday, but anyway. I know, but it's never, you know, it's always a good time to see you. So about putting this podcast together, we couldn't have thought of the perfect inaugural guest, the ultimate gas bagger of the entire e-commerce industry in Australia. So <sighs> thanks That's thanks a, for joining us. What a pleasure. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, it might, it might be the last one, so no pressure. Well, you stop when you reach perfection, right? Yeah, well, Good. We've got many years ahead of us. <laughs> Look, tell us about what you do at Power Retail. How did you get there? All right. Well, I'm the editor of Power Retail and I've had quite a few years of like e-com experience under my belt. So as you may remember, John, we did work at My Deal together. That's where my e-com journey first started. So I was a marketing assistant. Then I moved on after a few years and then landed at Power Retail. And it's been an absolutely stellar journey. So loved every second of it. This industry, I just, I could not believe when I first entered how much I would learn. It's just insane. So very thankful for every second I've been here. And yeah, now I'm here talking with you about it. I know, right? Who would have thought six years ago that we'd be doing this right now? I know. We don't even have to do it on Zoom because the pandemic seems to be getting more and more in the rear rear view mirror. But you actually started at my deal as an intern, if I remember. I did. That's right. You battled it out against someone and then we gave, we only had one full-time job. Yep. What was that like? The internship? Yeah. It was fine, actually. I thought it was really cool because my first ever office job and, of course, the Mydal office was, like, green and funky and it had a table tennis table and I thought, oh, my God, where am I, Google? And then I realised that it, it wasn't that cool after a while because you actually have to do a lot of work and it's not all fun and games. But it was actually a great internship and very happy that I got the job. It really did have that startup culture. It still has that startup culture, yeah. doing a lot with very little. And I think that's sort of the motto of e-commerce overall. But you're right, it is a lot of work as well. That's the sort of the flip side of the coin. And a lot of people love it and a lot of people just, it's not for them. Yeah. You know, I think for people like you and me, though, we, we weirdly thrive off it. Oh, no, I'm a workaholic, 100%. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Money. Money. I'm just kidding. It's my dog. Yeah. That's very millennial, <laughs> though. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm really lame. I actually love going to work every day. So I will just, I don't know, I'm really keen to just get up and do what I have to do. And How many days are you going into the office? Two. So you really love getting up and going to work every day? Yeah, no. I do work from home because I have a puppy. I would go in more often, but he requires a lot of work. So I've got a... What's his name? Biscuit. Waffle. Waffle, that's right. Six years, John. (laughs) You've known me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the industry a little bit and let's talk about the obvious one, the pandemic. Um, How has the pandemic shaped retail, do you think? And both in-store and online, let's keep it broad. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously online was the biggest thing that changed, I think, during the pandemic, just because it was the only option that everybody had. And uh, I mean, poor in-store had a bit of a tough 
few years, but it's it's crawling back and you can see that it's affecting online as well. So online sales are starting to drop and level out. We're still above like pre-pandemic levels, but it is not seeing the growth sustained that people I think expected, which I feel like most of us kind of knew was going to happen anyway, just because you can't have that sort of unprecedented growth continuing if another option comes up anyway. People love shopping in store. Mm. And like, I'm a big shopaholic. I love shopping online and I love shopping in store. But there are certain things that I want to go in store for. Like if I'm going to buy clothes, I'm going in to feel it, to touch it, to try it on. I'm going to buy makeup that I know that I want. I'll buy it online because it gets there the same night, like, you know, from Adore Beauty or something like that. So it's all about personal taste and things. But, yeah, we've definitely seen a lot of shifts over the last two years. And I think we'll still see shifts in the next few months as well because the uh, economic conditions aren't looking too flash and... Yeah, it's just going to change a lot of things looking ahead. I certainly agree with you um, with the love of brick and mortar. And, look, their performance is outstanding as well. I mean, I think with the All-Star Bash Awards, you know, yeah. it was uh, Woolworths for many, many years and then Bunnings took the crown this year and, and of course, we all love Bunnings. And Bunnings. last year too. And last year. Bunnings is um, is an amazing brand. Absolutely. Uh, and, it's a, and it's the in-store experience that we all know and love. So it's certainly brick and mortar has a big future ahead of it absolutely sure. and with bunnings as well it's not just the fact that they've got like a sausage sizzle and everything like that no they, it is that is absolutely <laughs> crucial but it's an integral part of their branding for one thing it's also part of this loyalty and trust that they've built with their customers they have this whole concept of them being like a local shop even though they are the biggest tool store in australia they even have it in new zealand as well like they are enormous but you still go there feeling like it's just the local shop on the corner because the staff know exactly what they're talking about most of the time. And they have this real honest Aussie sort of behaviour and attitude that makes you feel like you're at home. Mm. And, yeah, and then they went online. Uh, it took them a long time to get online. Yes, it did. But they did it and they absolutely smashed it. So credit to them. Yep. They were very well deserved. And who's, who knows what's going to happen next year? It might be Woolies again. Maybe Bunnings could be someone else coming up from behind. Yeah, that's how awards work. It could be someone. Yeah. Thank you. You're Jane. welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning so much with you. <laughs> of course, the, uh, the, you're right, though. Bricks and Clicks is going to be the next big thing. Bricks, yeah. You know, now that that omni-channel experience is part of the course, it's no longer a unique feature for brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, and I spoke at online retailer in, in July and actually did call out Bunnings for what I think is true customer loyalty that mm-hmm. it gets. We talk about how we bought something at Bunnings or we went to Bunnings on the weekend and we're, we're quite generous in, in our advocacy of Bunnings yeah. as opposed to some brands that we might not want to name drop and not to mention that sort of secret loyalty with no advocacy. So you're absolutely right in that in that regard. Yeah. But what are the biggest challenges that you've seen for retail businesses during the pandemic? There's a lot. There's a lot. I think one that I've noticed for a long time is loyalty. So because there are so many players at the moment online and in store, it's harder for a shopper to stay loyal to a certain brand, especially online with the likes of Bunnings or Kmart, your big two supermarkets and stuff like that. They've got such a huge history of in-store shopping. They've created this great experience. Whereas online, it's kind of harder to create an experience that's memorable enough for people to come back over and over again. You'll have some people that are like really loyal to retailers. Like you'll have your Mecca which is omni-channel, but you'll have Adore Beauty, which is purely online. People are really loyal to them. 
but they've also created a differentiating factor compared to the other retailers. So they have like their content, their podcasts, they have really, really fantastic products, great discounts, stuff like that. But yeah, I feel like loyalty is a tough one for retailers to crack at the moment. So that's a pretty big issue. And then, of course, you get into the, the issue of inflation happening at the moment. Post is just increasing their fees now. So there's going to be issues with shipping. Delivery is huge as well. You know, everyone expects not only free delivery, they expect same day or next day delivery. And that is really tough on retailers because they have to deliver that. And then also returns. So that's just like a laundry list of issues that are always going to be coming up. And it's just the case of other brands and companies coming in and finding those pain points and relieving them. So it's a really tough time at the moment, but it's also really poised for innovation. So it'll be exciting to see what comes out of it because we've got some really creative minds in this industry. We do. There's no doubt that someone's going to come up and have an amazing, innovative solution to these problems. And then a new problem will come up and even more solutions will come out. So it's tough, but it's an exciting time, really. You mentioned about how loyalty is really tough to engender, and I think that's always been the case as well. But so how much does a role, say, a, a paid subscription or a loyalty program, do you think it plays such a role in engendering loyalty? And is that true loyalty? I guess it also depends. If you get the likes of like an Everyday Rewards or Flybys, you know, they are the biggest ones in the industry. So like you're going to have people that are fully loyal to that. And they're, and gonna, they're free. Yeah, and they're going to whip their cards out every single time they shop and they want to get those points. But you run the risk of some retailers just adding a loyalty program on just because of the sake of it. They just want to jump on the bandwagon and they have nothing to offer. So when I think of really good loyalty programs, I do think of Mecca. I'm a big fan of their beauty loop. I think that they've done a superb job. But you're also going to get other really great ones. Again, like Woolies, they've smashed it. Flybys is always great. They're working with so many different retailers as well. So they collaborate, they partner with other brands. But yeah, I feel like you have to have a really serious proposition before you just enter a loyalty program into your collateral or whatever, because if you don't have something that's worth it to shoppers that they want to actually use, then there's no point. And you're just going to throw money away at nothing and you're not going to build up a good customer base. You have to really have something that's worth worth it. Yeah. And I think we saw that. We're seeing that, you know, Amazon Prime is, it's hard to find people that don't have a subscription to Amazon Prime because yeah. of the, the value that it offers, not only in the shipping, free shipping, the fast shipping, almost the same day almost. Yeah. Certainly the next day. Uh, but also then you've got that marvellous Prime service that, also, you know, the Prime video that comes underneath it. Yeah. So how do you compete with that? Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah. It's- Plenty of people are signing up to Coven first or eBay Plus and, yeah. and Club Catch or what it's turned into now. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people are still signing up for those services. Yeah. There's so many plays in the field. You run the risk of overloading the market and then you've got to figure out what's the differentiating factor. A lot of people will just put in free delivery, things like that, because it's what people want. Mm. But, you know, these businesses also have the cash that they can put behind that free delivery. They can really, they can sell it because they've got money to throw at it. Whereas if you're a smaller retailer and you have a loyalty program and you're not offering free shipping or something, you have to have another really, really exciting offer that will get them excited because otherwise, why would they join? Well, that's really true. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's looking to start up a business in e-commerce post-pandemic? It's a really good question. Why? I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. I don't know. Just listen to people that have done a good job 
There's some really great books out there. Gabby Leibovich has a really good book, Catch of the Decade. I know he plugs it a lot, and I'm going to plug it too. Absolutely. It's great. Let's, it actually, let's give a shout-out for Catch of the Decade, which yeah. is a great book. No, it's actually it's full of real insights. I was surprised. I thought it would just be a book of sort of nothing. But, no, he's got really great things in there, story from starting from, like, zero. And their one plus one equals three principle, which is amazing. And also see what your competition are doing and learn from your competition. You can't just put the blinders up and focus on you only. You have to actually pay attention to the entire market, take risks as well, and find a group of people in the industry that will also support you because they can give you advice and partner with people. And but I mean, all of this advice is only so good. It's a really tough thing to do. And, um, and there's a bit of luck involved sometimes too. Yeah, absolutely. You're sort of a nexus for the industry in terms of the scoop or the information that comes, you know, that comes around in, in our industry. What's something that you can share with us that you've maybe learned as an insight in the last 12 months? I didn't realise how close-knit the teams at, in e-com were. I thought that was really surprising. So obviously from an, as an outsider, when you look at the retail industry, you think of just brands as standalones and then you actually enter the industry and you realize that everybody knows each other. They all work with each other and they're all sharing ideas and collaborating a lot, which I think is really nice. Actually, I was scared it would be much more cutthroat. Like looking at the fashion industry, that's an incredibly cutthroat place to be. Whereas with e-com, I feel like they want everyone else to do well. Obviously, they want to succeed on their own terms, but they want to support each other because if the entire industry grows as one, it'll help everybody. It's better for the entire the entire industry and no one wants to see another retailer fail. You don't. No, you do. You, ge- you genuinely do feel bad when you see see good ones go. And we obviously the big news this week is that um, Groupon, Australia have their departing market. Yeah, so Australia goods are Australia winding goods, up. Yep. They, along with a lot of other international retailers and marketplaces, are laying off staff, cutting back on hiring. So it's a really tough time. A lot of retailers and, you know, not just retailers, but online platforms like Shopify, they've had to tighten their belt and really become a lean operation. It's really hard, but it also means that there's a lot of talent out there right now that mm. are looking for opportunities. So I just seeing on LinkedIn, you know, I check LinkedIn all the time and seeing new jobs coming up for amazing, talented people to join exciting businesses and um, new amazing ventures. It's bittersweet because you don't want to see a great retailer shut down. But then you also can't wait to see what the talent from these companies are going to do with new opportunities. Mm. So, yeah, you've got to find the silver lining, I guess. That's right. And you're a bit of a content queen. You are a content superpower in, you know, walking, talking content superpower. What's the content that you find the power retailer people are most engaged in right now? Because your base is retailers. Retailers read power retail news. So I'm interested, what, what, what do they find the most engaging right now in terms of the stories that you're writing? What, what's the, what do they love the most to read about? So I think that because, again, retail is usually a very corporate-focused industry, you're seeing a lot of, no offence, white men in suits standing around a boardroom and it can get a bit stuffy and a bit boring, especially if it's the same story over and over again. So what I've found is that getting to know the faces behind these companies has really resonated with our readers so a couple of my favourite things that I've done is uh, it's a series called 20 Questions. I did one with you, actually, at did Online Retailer. I did 10 questions with me live. I, I never got to prepare for that. 
And I'm so glad because yeah. we've got some great answers. Did you know that he's afraid of spiders? Thanks, tell the whole industry. <laughs> uh, actually, but, you did one with my boss, though, Cecilia. Yes. Any questions for Cecilia? That was wonderful. And I just, I really love getting to know a bit more about the people behind these success stories. So just finding out what drives them, what some of their secret, their talents are, and like what kind of kids were they in high school. A lot of these people that are in the industry that are so successful were told that they talk too much in high school or that they have and great, nothing has changed. That's it. But they have great potential if they just paid attention. You know, it's the same story over and over again, but it just shows that they're itching to do stuff. They just want to get out there and make things and get creative. So I don't know, seeing the personal side of the industry has been really wonderful. And I think our readers love them because, I mean, they're fun. But what I really found is that people love to hear more about the faces behind these industries. Like who wouldn't want to find out more about Gabby Leibovich or Tony Nash, you know, or Tanilo O'Shaughnessy. So you get all these ASX listed companies as well and you see that it's the CEO or the founder and it's like, yeah, okay, great. They're standing there with the bell and they look all happy. But you want to know more about them as a person, you know. What do they want to be when they grow up? And uh, what are their favourite movies? Get to know them. They're people. That's actually what I really want to ask you then. The 20-question series is great and we love reading. But who is it that you haven't interviewed yet that you'd love to get to do the 20 questions? I think I'd like to interview Ruslan Kogan. Really? Yeah. I think that his story is fascinating. You know, he grew up in Belarus and he moved here really young. He lived in, like, housing flats as well. Just his story is really inspiring. You know, he worked so hard. And look at where he is now. Like, Sure, he's done some, his company's a bit controversial, but he's a, a colourful character that I just love to sort of peek behind the curtain and see what drives him every day. And, yeah, I think it'd be fascinating to find out what his secret talents are. Everyone knows about his upfront talents, but I want to know, does he like knitting or something? It'd be really interesting to find out. Well, there's your opportunity to try and get him to do the 20 questions. We... That's it. Your open invitation, Ruslan. I'm all yours. That's very good. <laughs> Okay, so what do you make of the tension then between selling direct and marketplaces? I mean, we, Power Retail has been covered extensively, the rise and rise of marketplaces, yeah. and, and I think it was you that coined the term marketplaces are eating the world. So what do you think of the, the tension between D2C and marketplaces at the moment? Well, yeah, marketplaces are really uh, they're having a moment. So, I mean, in July... The, point, the first point of search for retailers, according to Power Retail Trajectory Report number 51, which, by the way, is available for all Switched On members. So according to that, in July, the first point of search for online shoppers, uh, 12% went straight to Amazon, which was really interesting. And, of course, this is in line with Prime Day, but now it's gone down to 9%. So we can see that I feel that Online marketplaces, if they have something like a sales event, people will go straight there because they know it's all in one place. But it also depends on the kind of thing that they're shopping for. So you're not going to get retail uh, shoppers, rather, go to an online marketplace for fashion or for beauty products. You're going to get them going there for electronics and homewares and things like that. So they've sort of created a niche within the industry itself for certain products. And I think a lot of other retailers are going to have to pick up the slack to compete against that. But, yeah, it's a really interesting time for marketplaces. We're getting to quite a few in Australia right yeah, now. Yeah, there's almost one launched every day. I know. It's just wild. So, yeah. again, we're, we might be heading into a bit of an over-flooded market and 
actually at online retailer, I thought it was really interesting talking to Ryan Gracie about marketplaces and how if you have a marketplace, you shouldn't have one just for the sake of acquiring a bigger customer market. You know, you have to have a niche, you have to stay in your lane. And I thought it was really interesting because it is true. You're going to get a lot of retailers that are fully established, have an online presence, and then introduce a marketplace and start selling things that don't align with their brand. Mm. And that can do more damage than they realize because they think we have a huge customer market, we'll start selling something that they might not realize that is there. And then bang, they've damaged years of hard work developing a brand. And yeah, don't open a marketplace just because you can. Yeah, You should do it because it adds value to your branding, to your proposition. And um, it's a really interesting time at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that retailers are definitely adding the marketplace model in order to get that next surge of growth. They've had organic growth over the last three years and now with the pandemic disappearing from view that that growth won't come organically and they need to fight for it. So I can understand why bolting on a marketplace would be the natural the natural solution there. But also there's the dropshipping model, which uh, many retailers are currently doing and, and Dropship Zone offers that sort of experience. So from your perspective, what do you think as a value proposition for retailers that would be taking a marketplace versus um, doing the dropship model? Yeah, well, I mean, look, with dropshipping, you obviously don't hold the stock. So that's a really important thing at the moment as well. It creates a much easier experience, I feel like, for the retailers as well. But I'd like to actually find out a little bit more about Dropship Zone as a whole and, like, you know, what actually what the, maybe the benefits are as well for retailers from well, your point of view. Here comes the shameless plug. Well, I'll spend one minute on it uh, in terms of what Dropship Zone is. Dropship Zone is a B2B marketplace and uses the dropshipping model as the way to facilitate transactions between retailers and suppliers. So it connects retailers and suppliers in a similar way to the way the B2C marketplace does connecting sellers with consumers. But it's one step up the supply chain. And the value for retailers is it means that they can start a business from scratch without holding any stock or they can add on more products to their current range and offer more more products to their, their current customer base. And the flip side of that is for suppliers. Suppliers suddenly will have a whole new range of channels so they can access retail or re, uh, dropship their products and sell that directly to the consumer. And that means ultimately that retailers are able to focus on what they're good at, which is retail, merchandising, marketing, customer experience and customer acquisition. And suppliers can focus on what they're good at, which is product innovation and uh, warehousing and logistics. So you have at this point each side of of Dropship Zone focusing on their core competencies and their core strengths, which in theory, and we have seen, creates a much better experience for the end customer. Fantastic. Well, there you go. You just answered the question. I did. That's right. (laughs) We won't won't go any more into that. But um, look, you you wrote an article on Power Retail recently questioning whether is e-commerce innovation dead? We just talked about marketplaces and dropshipping. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty innovative concepts. But is it dead? What's your view? Well, look, I mean, I wrote that a little while ago. I think I was maybe a bit triggered by someone's comment talking about getting the basics right. And I feel like you should already have the basics right now. You know, we've had two years of, like, I hate this word, but unprecedented online growth. And uh, the early days of the pandemic were the times when if you didn't have an online channel, you had to make sure that it was right, that you had everything in order. And then from there, you have your customers and you can start having fun, experimenting a little bit. And I felt that more retailers were focused on getting the basics right and then not going any further than that. So maybe now I would say differently. 
I feel like there's room for growth and opportunity. We are poised for innovation. So it might just be because times are really tough that people need to find solutions for problems when it comes to shipping and inventory. Of course, pricing is always going to be a massive issue, especially with inflation right now. But I think retailers maybe need to start creating something that's a little bit different, a little bit fun, something that will get customers excited about shopping again, because we are going to need something that's, you know, bright, colorful to sort of offset the dark and gloomy times that are ahead of us. So maybe innovation isn't dead, but it was dying. And I think now might be coming back to life. We've got to get the Princess Bride magic pill coated in chocolate and Bring the you haven't seen the Princess Bride? No. Well, there you Is go. Some That's kind of B grade horror movie or something. No, it's a classic. It's a classic film. Yeah. And um, there's a, a magic pill that brings Wesley back to life, and I feel like that is what e-commerce needs right now. That sounds terrible. From Miracle Max. Anyone that's watched The Princess Bride will understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Classic film. Yeah. No one cares. We'll get letters. <laughs> so. Let's talk about things that are dead. Facebook Live is dead. Yes, it is. Live that, shopping. Yeah. So and now Twitter is launching Twitter shopping, Ugh. which is weird because it's I thought things just get cancelled on Twitter. No, I don't think that Twitter will succeed with their shopping. I may eat my words, but they have tried this so many times and every time they've tried it, they have failed. And some social media platforms are not meant for shopping. Instagram is living proof that not every Instagram user wants to shop on that platform. I don't want to shop on that platform. I love Instagram. And if I see another ad to buy something, I'm going to delete the app because it's not what people want. And I feel like if all these social media apps just continue to push shopping down people's throats, it's going to drive them away. So Twitter doing this, I feel is a massive risk. They've tried it so many times. There was one occasion where they had, you could tweet add to cart or something for Amazon and people could buy something through the app. And I feel like that's just wild. Why would you do that? It feels like it's going to be a big issue for for people just, I don't know, drunk typing or something like that. It might just go wrong. And they've also tried other little buy now buttons on creative sites, things like that. I don't know. Actually, have you bought something while drunk? Have you? Absolutely. And then regretted it the next day? Never. What was something that you bought while drunk? I tend to buy clothes a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I go through a a stage of like I've watched Euphoria or something and I'm like, yeah, I want to buy glitter for my face and fun outfits. And then I try it the next, well, whenever it arrives the next week and I've made wrong decisions, but I have no regrets, no shopping regrets. Yeah. I don't think that you've made the wrong decision today. Thanks. But you probably weren't drunk when you got ready. Never know. We'll, we'll cut that. Uh, okay. <laughs> this isn't, cut this that isn't coffee. It's an espresso martini. <laughs> <laughs> Heading of this podcast, white man makes comment on <laughs> everything, <laughs> which is white man yells. To be fair, I am wearing man, a hoodie. Old man yells with a the coat. So. Is Twitter cancelled or is John? Stay tuned. <laughs> this is very good. Thank you. That's the, that's our producer. <laughs> Basically trying to cancel me. Yeah, look, social commerce does work in some social in some circumstances. We have seen the rise of, of TikTok, and then yep. you know that hashtag TikTok made me buy it. So it is transforming. Yeah, but the thing is, with that, I feel like it's more of an organic thing. It doesn't feel like they were pushing it down people's throats. With TikTok, you're going to get viral campaigns that happen all the time, and then TikTok has actually taken that and run with it. Whereas I feel like with Twitter, they are forcing it by having this. They've tried so many times and it didn't take off the ground. Why would they do it again? Whereas with TikTok, I mean, everybody's copying TikTok. And it's, again, that's another issue with Instagram, but that's a whole different conversation. That's true, actually. Um, But everything is being 
is getting copied from TikTok, just like originally people were copying Snapchat. I don't know if anyone remembers, but when stories were the big thing that swept on every single social media platform, they all lifted it from Snapchat. And now it's reels on Instagram, there are shorts on YouTube, but TikTok, it felt organic, them adding a shopping thing. They've done a really great job. But if shoppers are saying, or if users are saying that they don't want this, and if they are pushing back, they need to be listened to. Because at the end of the day, that's your customer. Why would you push something onto them that they don't want? They're not going to use it. Or if they do, they're going to resent you and they're going to have issues. So that's maybe another reason why Facebook Live Shopping didn't work because they pushed it so hard that, you know, we didn't want it. It wasn't something that came organically. It reminds me a little bit of a voice search, which a few years ago was we were all told that's the next big thing. Yeah. And I definitely see the proliferation of of personal assistant devices like Mm. Alexa and and Google Home. Yeah. Um, But I don't use that to shop. I don't use it to do anything in terms of transactional. I just use it to turn on my lights and and ask it what the weather is. Yeah, that's same here. We use it usually just to play music or something like that. But But that's an example of innovation. It is. But it's just it hasn't been embraced. Yeah, well, that's a, it's something that's really interesting. When it comes to innovation, you can't just have an idea and expect it to take off. It has to be, again, organic. You have to look at trends. What do customers want? What are they asking for? And then combining that with what is going on in the world, like the Internet of Things is something that's still kind of underground a little Mm. bit, but people want this sort of stuff. It's just finding that right niche that will really take off. Well, this is the thing because I and, I and I wonder whether or not it comes down to privacy because we don't really want these devices listening to us. And there yeah. are a lot of people that tell me that they will never put one in their home. Yeah. Despite the fact that they have an Apple iPhone that basically that tracks everything they do anyway, they won't ever put a Google Home in their home because they don't want it listening on their conversations. Like they're so interesting and having really interesting conversations that Google will care what they're saying. <laughs> but that is almost the, the difficulty. We say that we're getting irrelevant ads on Facebook and Instagram and then we want, and that would sound like we want a need for hyper-personalisation, yet we yeah. don't want our data used for that. That would be required to fuel that hyper, hyper-personalisation. Yeah. So how is, so, so are consumers lying to us or they just don't know what they want? That's a really, it's a tricky one though because I feel like people don't want irrelevant ads, but if they don't want irrelevant ads, they have to get a hyper-personalised experience and then the privacy comes into play. And it's difficult because you've got to sacrifice <laughs> Your privacy if you want to have the right ads pop up and you don't want Amazon telling you to buy more toilet seats. That's you right. Know? So, yeah, it's a really tough one. I think it's a learning curve. Uh, everything starts off new and scary and over time it becomes easier. But also retailers need to make sure that they aren't, again, pushing. They have to ask. So I was having a chat with the guys from Prezi who do a lot of personalised experiences online and they're really cool. If anyone's used Prezi before, you go on to, again, like Bird's Nest or a Door Beauty, big Door Beauty fan here, obviously. Absolutely. But you go in and they will prompt you to ask, like, ask you some things about your skin type. What are you looking for? What kind of coverage do you want? Do you want something at this price range? And it's all voluntary, but you select all of the answers from the selection and they give you a bunch of suggested products. And that's a hyper-personalized experience, but it doesn't feel like they are taking a look at like at my privacy. They're not taking anything away from me. I'm voluntarily giving it to them. And that could be the future of hyper-personalization where it is a voluntary thing. The opt-in. Yeah. And what was interesting at online retailer at the team at Prezi made a good comparison that when you go inside a store, 
and you want help from a salesperson, you're going to tell them these things anyway. You're going to tell them what kind of skin you have or what you're looking for. They're not going to take it home with them, obviously, and tell all of their people like, oh, Joe Bloggs over here has oily skin. <laughs> what a loser. But You'd probably be able to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Some salespeople are better than others. Yeah. But it's the same thing essentially. You're getting the retailer to understand the customer better. It's just also there's a lack of transparency of what happens to this data once it's collected. Where does it go? How long does it stay there? The big one. Yes. Yeah, the so, right to be deleted. Yes. Yeah. So you really do have to be transparent with these things because there's clearly an issue with privacy. And I understand completely. I don't want these retailers knowing about me 20 years down the track. It's, you know, so that's a, a big issue. But if customers want something that's very specific, they're going to have to tell them. Now, we're almost coming to the end, so uh, I, I don't want you to walk away without giving you an opportunity to plug the uh, the Night of Nights for retail and, yes. and, uh, and the All-Star Bash. So when is it next year? It is the 9th of March, 2023. It's going to be a fantastic night. It gets better every single year. Palladium again? I believe so. It's Ooh. going to be great. We've we cracked over 1,000 attendees That's this right. year, so it's just it's amazing. I, it's one of my favourite nights of the year. It's better than Christmas, really, because... Get all dressed up. You get to you hang get out. Dressed up at Christmas? No. Okay. Obviously, I wear my Santa suit all year round. <laughs> no, it's I love getting fully dressed up. It's like the Oscars for retail. It's um even better than the Oscars. Isn't well, it? Well, that's true. No one gives speeches. You know trying to fix the world or anything and everyone's just drunk actually that's one thing that happens at these at the all-star bash no one is quiet during the when people are getting up to get their awards or when they're reading out the nominees you have i think it's now two years in a row now where i've seen the whoever's host, hosting the awards they have to shush everyone which is of course it's pretty funny yeah well we've got a pretty slick system now you know we have ads playing and we have lots of sounds and fun really great visuals we have of course at the start of the night you have the amazing video with all of the best leaders of the retail yeah. industry i love that and you change it up every year of i think course. you had you had boom lamb in it yeah absolutely yeah. no it's it's great. I always get a little bit emotional when I see that every year. I'm such a sop, honestly. Yeah, you really are an absolute <laughs> sop. Like, I don't know how they work with you. <laughs> Ali, thank you so much. It's been so fun oh, catching up. And this is uh, the first podcast. I think we might be in with a chance and it won't be the last. Oh, hopefully. good. Yeah, no, it's been a, a really great time chatting with you as always. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, John. All right, I think that's all we have time for. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on this very first episode of the recommended retail podcast, the RRP, that talks all things retail and brought to you by Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B marketplace. Now, assuming we've not been cancelled, we'll be back next month with a new guest to talk all things retail. And as we say in retail, happy selling. Over and out.